Welcome to those who are joining us in the Fellowship Hall and online this morning. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and bring Bibles. If you would like to use one, please use one during the service and you can return them at the back of the service at the end. Today in the Gospel of Luke, we've arrived at the section commonly called Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus is teaching his disciples directly about what it means to be his disciples while a whole crowd is eavesdropping in on the lesson. So if you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, this message is totally for you. And if you're not sure yet what to call yourself in connection with Jesus, you're part of this story too gathered around with a crowd to hear about Jesus' vision. So wherever you are on this journey, Jesus wants you to know what he's about. And our mission here at Community of Grace is to be and make disciples of Jesus. So of course, if that's our goal, to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples, we first have to know three things. What's a disciple? Who is Jesus? And how do disciples make other disciples? So let's start with the first question, what's a disciple? A disciple is a person who is committed to learning from a master to follow in the way of that master. So you really can't be a disciple without a master to follow. If it's easier for you to think of it this way, you can use the word follower instead that a disciple becomes a disciple when they decide they've found someone they want to follow, someone what they want to learn from, someone they admire, someone they want to be like. A disciple commits to learn from and follow in the ways of a certain teacher. So obviously, nobody can make you be a disciple, right? Because it isn't just about your actions. It's not just about what you do. It's a heart thing. It's about who you trust to lead you into being who you're meant to be. Discipleship has to be a heart thing because where your heart goes, the rest of you will follow, right? So a disciple is one who is committed to follow in the ways of a certain master. And our mission statement is to be and make disciples, not just of anything, but of Jesus, and we call Jesus our Lord and our Master, and we trust Him to lead us because we believe He is the Son of God who was sent to save us and to show us by His words and His actions who God is. And in Jesus, we see God's self-giving love through the cross and God's desire to make us new through the resurrection. We see in Jesus' teaching and in His lived example the kind of life God created us to live. And being a follower of Jesus is going to look different than being a follower of someone else. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be committed to learning his way of living in relationship with God and with the world. So how do we do that? Well, here are value statements that you can see on the banners in each of our worship spaces are meant to help us grasp some of those simple ways that we are disciples of Jesus that Jesus makes us family, that what Jesus has done for us is what connects us to each other. We all need him. And secondly, that deep roots make good fruit, that disciples spend time learning about their master, right? So they can always be growing. And the third one, that love pours out. Disciples take what they learn and then they put it into practice. They don't just learn it, they do it. 
And then next, to invite first and next steps with Jesus. This reminds us that we're all just students of Jesus. None of us have arrived yet. We're student learners, and we share with each other what we've learned so far so we can keep moving forward. We help others get to where we are, and then we look to others to help us grow too. And then lastly, the 3165, to be the church in the world. We know that because Jesus' way is about trusting God to guide us every day, we can live in the Jesus way wherever we are. So there's the five-minute crash course in discipleship, what that means. So today in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus teaching his disciples. These are those who have already committed to learn his way. And you'll notice when he's doing that, he's not pulling any punches. His teaching here is frankly really hard stuff, and it's a little bit shocking to the crowd, and it's supposed to be, because Jesus is using this Sermon on the Plain to present a very different way of seeing the world and ourselves, a way that isn't reactionary but visionary. Jesus' way of seeing the world now is through the lens of the ultimate future that God wants for the world, letting the vision of God's kingdom shape our actions now instead of us being focused on what we think serves us best in this moment. Because where we're focused is going to determine where we go. And Jesus has a destination of eternal relationship with God in mind for us and for everyone. And so that's how he invites his disciples to see ourselves and to engage the world. So Jesus starts this discipleship teaching in the Sermon on the Plain by pointing out the things that can keep us from seeing that bigger picture. So with that, I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke 6 in your Bibles if you have them today. We're going to start at verse 20 on page 1509 of your Quest Bible with what's often called the blessings and the woes. And Luke 6, 20, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For this is how their ancestors treated the prophets. You can pause there for a moment. Those blessings that Jesus lists don't really seem like blessings, do they? Nobody wants to be poor or hungry or sad or hated or insulted. But Jesus doesn't actually say those things are the blessings. See, poverty is not a blessing. It's hard and it's horrible. And one day in God's good kingdom of heaven, there's going to be no such thing. But I can tell you that people who've shown the kind of faith that's moved me the most in life have often been people who have had next to nothing because they know that they need God's help. They seek him with all their heart, and they have seen God show up in amazing ways. If you've ever heard some of the stories from Mission of Hope Haiti and what God's done there, you might know what I'm talking about. You see, poverty and hunger, grief, rejection, those things are not blessings. But when we know that we need more than we can give ourselves, often those situations open us up to ask and to receive from God what he wants to do in us. So what Jesus is really saying here is, blessed are you 
who know you need me. Because when you seek God, you're going to see him move. And you're going to move with him into a relationship that nothing can ever take away from you. That's true eternal riches. And on the other hand, Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And again, Jesus isn't saying here that it's bad to have money or to have enough to eat or to laugh or to have a good reputation. What Jesus is pointing out here is the danger of those things, that we can be tempted to think if we don't need God to provide us with the basic necessities of life, then maybe we don't really need God at all. We can get numbed by comfort so much that we don't invest in the eternal relationship that God has opened up for us in Jesus that's meant to be our strength and our purpose and our home forever. So Jesus' first shocking teaching in this Sermon on the Plain is, if we let it, comfort can be the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. We think of what we think of as blessings can actually act more like curses to our spiritual well-being. And strangely, sometimes it's our struggles that can turn out to be the best thing to happen to us because they shake us free of the numbness that paralyzes us. They actually lead us to engage with God. So think about that morning. What is it that numbs your spirit? What distracts you from investing more deeply in your relationship with God? Because where your heart is focused, that's where the rest of you will follow, right? Or maybe are there struggles in your life right now that might actually help open your eyes to a blessing that God wants you to know? Lesson one for Jesus' disciples on the Sermon of the Plain is don't let comfort stall out your spiritual life. It's time to see from an eternal perspective. And immediately after teaching us that, Jesus goes into an earthly application of seeing that way. That if stuff is here today and gone tomorrow, people are meant to be eternal. And if you understand why Jesus came and his mission to save, you understand there's nothing more precious than the soul of a person, your soul, the soul of the person who's sitting next to you this morning. And when you get that, it makes sense that Jesus would follow up this teaching about seeing with an eternal perspective with a command for his disciples, those who follow in his way, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Because his ultimate mission is to bring people into eternal relationship with a God who loves them, to turn your enemy into his friend. And the only way that hearts are changed is through love. That Jesus' way of seeing comes from a very different focus on what is important than what we usually have. Because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, most of the time what we value most is us. What we're focused on most is ourselves. And when that's the case, what matters most is usually our pride. And in that case, if someone hurts me, I want to hurt back. People who are hurting end up hurting other people, and those people hurt other people. And where does that end? Jesus leads a different way. Instead, Jesus teaches, if you are my people, I say, if someone curses you, bless them. 
If someone mistreats you, pray for them. Turn the other cheek. And I don't blame you if you have a negative reaction to that initially. Because sometimes when people hear this teaching of Jesus, he thinks what he's asking of us is to be doormats. And what he's saying is that it's okay with him that we suffer injustice. But that's not true. It's not God's will for anyone to be victimized. We can see in Scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation that God cares very deeply about those who suffer injustice. Jesus is not saying, let evil win. Not at all. What Jesus is doing here is teaching his disciples to fight with a different set of tools, to powerfully choose to counter hate with love, because the goal is to see lives changed for eternity, and only love does that. Love is the most powerful agent of change. I recently heard an interview on NPR about an author who researched the success of change on a global scale, from violent revolts to completely nonviolent movements, and the research came back that hands down, nonviolent movements actually resulted in more lasting change than violent action. And why? Because the method models the goal. I think one of the greatest examples of that is Martin Luther King Jr. He was immersed and grounded in the vision of Jesus' kingdom in the world. And once in a speech to the protesters in Montgomery, Alabama, he said, never fight with hate or anger or malice. Always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation fall in Montgomery, we will be able to live in harmony with our brothers. See, Martin Luther King Jr. saw through the lens of the kingdom vision of the future God wanted for people. And he could see how counterproductive it would be to that future if the methods they used created fear or hate or threatened the people they one day hoped to live peacefully beside. If the goal is to live in harmony, the way forward to that path is to reject what is disrespectful and devaluing, but to do so in a way that models what's better to reject the disrespectful and devaluing in a way that's respectful and consistent and shows value. Or, to use Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6:31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Show them how it's done, people. To understand the kingdom way, they first have to see it. See, talk is cheap. You've got to walk it. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. See, this discipleship to Jesus is hard stuff. Because when you turn the other cheek, sometimes you're going to get slapped. But it's hard work that's worth doing because only love changes the world. And we miss seeing this so often because it's so unnatural to our usual way of seeing. When we feel disrespected, we want to retaliate with disrespect. When we fear we'll be rejected, we want to reject first. We'd much rather do to others what they did to us than do unto others what we would have them do to us. But where does that short-sighted attitude lead the world? Or as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, 39, can the blind lead the blind? 
Will they not both fall into a pit? What Jesus is telling us is somebody needs to be able to see where we're going. Somebody needs to lead in the way that's better if anyone is going to go there. If everyone just keeps reacting out of fear, who's going to lead us into the way of love? So, of course, as the master of this way, Jesus went first. He walked the talk. Jesus stepped into this world of hate with his unquenchable love. He took the worst of all the prejudice and hatred and fear. He turned the other cheek. He let himself take the scorn and ridicule of a world that will destroy out of fear. And he died on the cross to put an end to that terrible story. And when he rose to life three days later, he wrote a new ending to that story, one that's an eternal beginning where love wins. Where even through death, Jesus will give new life. In Jesus, there is always hope for more because he is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus chose to walk the hard road of leading with love because love is where he's taking us. And so he calls us, his people, to do the same. This is hard. Forgiving is hard. Loving our enemies is hard. Praying for those who hurt us is hard. We can only do it when Jesus gives us a different way of seeing them and ourselves through the lens of his love. Does Jesus call you to forgive those who hurt you because they deserve it? No, they probably don't. Does he call you to pray for them because you owe them something? No, you don't. Does he tell you you need to figure out a way how to feel loving feelings toward people who are mean to you? No. So why lead with love? Because although your actions may impact them, your actions are ultimately not about them. They're about you. Your actions speak to who you are and whose you are, who you will follow, who you want to be like, what kind of kingdom you are a part of. You forgive not because the person in front of you deserves it, but because you belong to a Lord who chose to lay down his life to forgive you. You love not because the person in front of you is so lovable, but because you belong to the Lord who first loved you and who has promised to always love you. And you're merciful because you belong to a master whose way is mercy. And because that person in front of you may only come to know the heart of that God and be transformed by seeing him at work in you. Because love is the hard, hard way of discipleship to this Jesus, this master. And to live in this kind of kingdom way becomes its own reward because it starts to change the way you see you as well as how you see the world. Jesus teaches a way of seeing that's about more than what's good for me. It's about what's good for the world, what God is doing for the world and for you. And sometimes it does take standing up to injustice to do this. But when you need to confront someone else about something, do it in the kind of way you would want someone else to confront you. The second discipleship lesson of this passage is always lead with love, because it's Jesus' way. But even when we know that, even when we know only love changes things, the truth is that kind of change can be so slow, right? 
It's hard to keep the faith sometimes. We can see how beautiful this way of Jesus is, but we also might be tempted to think, well, in my situation, even though that's so beautiful, I don't think it's going to work. I think my situation is unique. I might have to try something different. Obviously, Jesus knows that about us. He knows that everyone's got an exception because following up these passages in the Sermon on the Plain about not judging others and forgiving first and loving first, Jesus ends this section of teaching by asking in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Busted. (laughs) He closes by telling a parable saying that a person who puts Jesus' words into practice has a firm foundation like a house built on a rock. But the person who just does what seems to be right to them at the time is going to find that they've built on sinking sand. What Jesus is saying is, if you believe he is who he says he is, if he is your Lord, your Savior who died for you, then you've got to trust he knows what he's talking about. This is the foundation to build on. Love, forgiveness, mercy is the kingdom way because this foundation is built all on his love. That's first laid down for you, on his unshakable sacrifice for you. Do you understand the power of that foundation? See, when Jesus calls us to forgive as we have been forgiven, this is really spiritually important. Because when we refuse to forgive others, usually the reason is because we don't think they deserve it, right? If they would deserve it, then we'd forgive them. But the minute we think that, we've lost the whole point of forgiveness. We've lost the foundation. If we only forgive those who we feel deserve to be forgiven, then somewhere deep down inside us, we believe only those who deserve to be forgiven can be forgiven. And where does that leave us? When we think that way about others, doubt immediately starts to gnaw at our hearts about the relationship between God and us, too, because we know we've made real and ugly mistakes. And we start to wonder, have we done enough to deserve Jesus' forgiveness? And how can we ever know that what we've done is enough? You see, if we try to put our foundation there on deserving, it's quicksand. Like I said, when we start to think that way, we miss the whole point. If we could earn salvation by building a foundation of our own good actions, if we could repair the damage of our own sins by our own power, Jesus would never have needed to have come. But Jesus came to save and forgive, not because we earned it, but because we can't. We need a foundation that's stronger than us. And Jesus died and rose to make that foundation under our feet, not our work, but his work, not our deserving, but his amazing grace. And if we don't understand that forgiveness is not about deserving, but about who our God is and what he wants for us, we haven't yet understood the foundation of the kingdom. The third and most important lesson, in my opinion, on the Sermon of the Plain is to trust Jesus' foundation, because that's where all of this starts that knowing this is your foundation, his love for you undeserved, this is what gives us the power to develop a different way of seeing ourselves in the world through his eyes. 
It's what helps to lead you in love. It's what helps you see yourself and those around you from an eternal perspective. It all starts backwards to forwards. It starts with that foundation. It starts with his love. And honestly, as long as we're alive on this earth, we're always going to be student learners of that truth, of this master. We're always going to need to see his love shown to us over and over and over to even begin to grasp a love that, that, that is that big in order to know it and in order for us to show it. That only in that love in us and through us are things changed by the one who first loved us. So today, my prayer for you is that this teaching of Jesus on the plain might move you to take a step closer in following in the way of this master as you learn to know the foundation of that love for you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that it's you who are our master. We pray that you would teach us today what it is to be your disciples, to live in your way, that you would teach us a different way of seeing to see you, to see our need for you, to see our neighbor and their need for you. We pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours, that you would teach us to trust you to be our foundation, that we would follow you, Lord, in learning to lead in the way of love because you are the one, Lord, who has given us the eternal vision of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would lead us on today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.